At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Yes, Father God, thank you. Thank you that we have this reminder that in the cross of Jesus Christ, death has been arrested that we have life in his name, eternal life and forgiveness through the grace of his sacrifice. And so Father, we celebrate that today as your church, as your family, as your community, staking our lives on the cross of Jesus saying, this is why we have life, this is our hope, this is our message, this is what we have to offer. So Father, would you speak to us now Father, where our hearts have been opened through worship, or would our hearts be open to your word? And give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear all that you would have for us this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So great to see all of you here today. Before I dive into the word together, I have something very special to me. I've been wearing this for the last several years. This is my Team Woodside running shirt. I had it on in the last service, very wrinkled and messed up, and I thought I looked kind of ridiculous. So um, now I just brought it to show you. But when you're over at Stony Creek or some other places, perhaps you'll see people in these. The reason I bring it up is if you've been around our church for some time, Many years ago, we heard from this stage a vision shared about reaching children in Thailand who are at risk for human trafficking or other ills, other evils within the culture. And so what our church did was rally around that cause, eventually build a ministry, an orphanage that not only went to Thailand, but eventually also went to India. And so we have children in both of those countries that we support completely through this church. And even in the midst of all the things that are happening in our globe and in our nation right now, they still need to eat. They still have educational needs. And a lot of that fundraising actually comes through our team Woodside Runners who at the Detroit Free Press Marathon would run for those causes. And this year, of course, the marathon has been canceled and it's all become virtual. And so all the more that while some of our runners are running, even if you're not a runner, just simply to support this cause because these children, our children, in these two countries around the world still need our help, our resource, our prayers, and all of those types of things. And so if you would like to get involved, um, we would love for you to. Uh, there's definitely a gap this year as a result of all the things that have happened, and so we're looking to help them in a substantial way. And so if you would go to woodsidebible.org slash teamwoodside. It's kind of hard to find on the website, so you want to write it down, woodsidebible.org slash teamwoodside, and you'll learn more about this amazing ministry uh, that my family's been a part of, and I hope you will be this year as well. So with all that being said, uh, if you have a Bible, please make your way to Psalm 24. If you were here at the very beginning of the service on time, you would have heard it read. If you made your way in after that, then perhaps not. Psalm 24. We are between sermon series right now, and next week we'll be starting a new series in 1 Peter, as Pastor EJ mentioned, called Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. And in many ways, the message the Lord gave me for this morning goes right along with that theme. 
Let me ask this question. In many, uh, as you think about this question as we begin, has our world ever felt so unpredictable in your lifetime? If you lived through a world war, war uh, you might have some experience. If you lived through the Civil Rights Movement and the Vietnam War, you might have some experience. But for most of us, this is the first time we've been through such widespread unrest and instability. Maybe this past week you've heard about the fires that have really started overwhelming the west coast of the United States. My brother lives in Portland, Oregon, and I've been speaking with him on the phone several times. He sent me these pictures when it first started showing up right outside his doorstep. There is no blue sky left in the pictures. It's all simply orange. He and his wife, his two children, are there. The air quality is extremely hazardous. They've lost uh, over a million acres now to these forest fires just within that state. Maybe nine or ten deaths thus far. A half a million people have been displaced. Ten percent of their population have been completely displaced. And the forest fires are out of control. And to me, it's like a metaphor for our nation right now. So many things are on fire, it seems, and we can't seem to get them under control. We can't get the political climate under control. We can't get the educational system under control. We can't get the economy under control. We can't get racial reconciliation under control. Oh, and by the way, we can't seem to get control of the impact of this global pandemic either. The old narrative, as in nine months old, of our Western society was that we control our lives. We have the freedom to control all the things that we do. It's shocking how quickly that narrative can change, isn't it? How many times have you said this year or heard said this year, if somebody would have told me in 2019 what would have happened in 2020, there's no way I would have believed them. We've all said it, we've all heard it. There are so many things beyond our control. Are you able to admit that today? Turn to the person next to you and just say, I can't control it all. I can't control it all. I can't control it all. Now turn to him and say, and neither can you. Neither can you. What do we need when things are out of control? What do we need? When the world, when our, our world, when our relationships perhaps, when our culture, when our workplace, all these things are out of control it seems. Do we need to fight to just say I'm going to wrestle the situation to the ground until I get a handle on it again? All I really need is self-confidence and self-assurance and a strong self-image and inner strength. That's what I need. Do we need fear to let anxiety turn in our stomachs and torture our heads? Or do we need an active faith that says God's presence is all I need? God's presence is all I need. If God is for me, who can stand against me if he's got this so I can trust him? That's our idea this morning. God's presence, friends, is all we need. And I just want to speak that truth over you, our church family, today. Right now, whatever you are going through, please understand, please hear these words from the Lord, that God's presence is all you need. 
That's what you need right now. That's what we collectively need. It is the most powerful force in the world, his presence. A.W. Tozer wrote a little classic book, The Pursuit of God. It's free online. If you've never read it, you need to. It's a must read. And he said, the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push in to conscious awareness of his presence. That we would understand, be aware of his presence. So many of us might be aware cognitively of God's presence with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. But so many of us might struggle with consciously experiencing the difference his presence in the person of the Holy Spirit actually makes. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. And this concept is what drew me to Psalm 24. It's a Hebrew poem that celebrates the reality of God's presence among his people. And it points us to three practices that will help us experience the presence of God even when life seems out of control. That's why it matters so much to us this morning. Now, before we get to Psalm 24, if you could turn, maybe keep your finger there and turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, I want to take you there just for a few minutes to give you the background to this psalm. It's so important that we understand that. So I want to just share this story from 2 Samuel chapter 6 with you. It was a chaotic time in Israel's history here in the Old Testament. And this chapter in 2 Samuel is about the Ark of the Covenant being brought back to the holy city of Jerusalem. The Israelites had lost the Ark in a battle with the Philistines, their ancient enemy. And the Ark of God was not simply a box of wood made for a freaky scene in an Indiana Jones movie. It was much more than that, much more significant. It was the focal point of God's presence with his people in the Old Testament. The focal point of God's presence, his goodness with his people. John Mark Comer, who is an author and a pastor in Portland, Oregon as well, he taught on Psalm 24 recently, and some of my content, some of this sermon has been influenced by his, and he reminds us that this chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 6 is about God's presence and goodness coming back to the nation of Israel. Look at verse 1. Let's just walk through the story quickly. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose And went with all the people who were with him from Baali, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, what a great name, wonderful name, he must have been a really amazing person. The sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Now, did you notice that Samuel tells us twice that they put the ark on a new cart? Now, in the Old Testament, adjectives are pretty scarce. You didn't have that many of them in the writing itself. So whenever you find an adjective to describe something further within Old Testament narrative literature, you should pay attention, especially when it's repeated. So it was a new cart. 
It's a new cart. The author wants us to understand this. Now, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. This is a very holy moment with the presence of God being brought back to his holy city. And so it deserves, it seems, something new and shiny for that occasion. The problem is that God had given very specific instructions on how that ark ought to be carried. Only Levites, a particular tribe of the nation of Israel, priests, were supposed to carry the ark and they carried it on their shoulders with poles and the poles would go through ringlets on the side of the ark. Not even the poles touched the ark. Because God was communicating to his people that he is set apart, he is holy, he is to be feared. But what happened? And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and consonants and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah. That means bursting forth in anger against Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Is this just another example of the angry God of the Bible that loses his temper at a moment's notice? It says God struck him down there because of his error. This means Uzzah was aware of the mistake. He chose disobedience. He willingly chose to abandon what was right for what was convenient. This happens all the time. He compromised. Uzzah and really everybody else in the story, they lacked a healthy fear of God. The Bible is so relevant to our day to our church, to our culture. There is such a thing as healthy fear, wouldn't you say? Healthy fear at times can protect us. But they were no longer in healthy fear of God. They no longer had a a sense of awe when it came to God. They no longer feared his holiness. Their attitude was, let's just have a good time, throw a party, do the faith thing a little bit, and in the simplest and most convenient way possible, God will be happy with that. He'll be fine with our half-hearted effort. No, friends. No, that's not the way he's to be treated. That's not the way he is to be worshipped. That is not what he demands. So David was not willing to take the ark of God, verse 10, of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting 
and with the sound of the horn. So God's presence and goodness rested in the home of Obed-Edom, and his presence and goodness brought blessing. David figures this out, begins to say, you know what, we need to do this right and live in healthy fear of the Lord, be in all of his presence, understand who he is, understand what he has commanded. And so he brought the Levites to carry the ark on their shoulders. And after every six steps the Levites took, they built an altar, made a fire, sacrificed an animal, and worshipped. So one, two, three, four, five, six, the number of man, reminding them before the number of God, seven, that they are frail, weak, and need to live in fear of him. And so they would stop They would build an altar, they would make a sacrifice, make a fire, make a sacrifice and worship, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, stop, altar, fire, sacrifice, worship. One, two, three, four, maybe they start going like this, six, stop, altar, sacrifice, worship. Friends, they did that for 10 miles, 10 miles. Do you think that God is concerned about his holiness? Do you think God cares how his people treat him, how they worship him, how we are to stand in all of him? They weren't just carrying a piece of wood covered in gold with some articles inside. They were bringing God's holy presence, his immeasurable goodness back to God's people. God's presence, they understood it. That's all we need. It's that powerful. It's that present with us. It's that forceful in the world. And when they finally made it to the city, scholars believe that Psalm 24 is what they sang. That King David wrote this in preparation for this event. And it points to three practices that will help us experience the presence of God. Look at verse 1. He says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. I love how the NIV translates this verse. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. These two verses talk about God's ownership and a theological term that we'll call God's omnipresence. That he created the earth. It's his ownership. He created everything in the earth. It's his ownership. Even the parts that we think are uncontrollable for the people in the ancient world, they they viewed the waters and the seas and the rivers as things that they could not control. Even these things, it's his ownership. And his presence extends over all the earth. He's omnipresent. It means there is nowhere God is not. So what's missing in our relationship with God is not his presence, it's our awareness of his presence. He's not moved. He's here. If you are in Christ, he dwells within you, the very presence of God in you right now. Are you aware that he is with you? 
His very presence in you. They understood that they were bringing God's presence, his goodness to them. They understood all that was happening in this moment. We need to as well. A few weeks ago, my daughter Leah, she's our oldest, she started complaining that she had heavy, achy legs. It was over the summer she started running cross country with Eisenhower High School and uh, she was doing really well at it, so her coach said, you go run as a freshman with these two senior girls, and so the three of them would go off running, and the rest of the team would do their own thing. And there was one particular day where she ran six and a half miles with these girls at a really quick clip, and so she woke up the next day, and she says, my legs are sore, and we're like, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty normal. That doesn't sound unusual at all. Well, seven days later, she lost the color in her skin she turned chalky white and she collapsed in our kitchen. I, I caught her right before she hit the floor. Uh, by the next day, she was in an ambulance on her way to Royal Oak Beaumont. And what they discovered was that she had been bleeding internally in her GI tract for at least a week and had lost two-thirds of the blood in her body. After three blood transfusions, I don't really know how many tests, in five days in the hospital with one meal, she finally came home. She was stable. She's still stable. She's getting stronger. The doctors found a few ulcers, but they were never able to get a diagnosis. So for us, the journey kind of continues. Some more testing, some more things to be repeated here in a few months. When you have an incredibly fit 14-year-old who has never shown a single symptom of any kind, all of a sudden go through this, and you're sitting in the hospital, I was acutely aware that this is out of my control. And if you've been a parent in that moment, you know what that's like. You have no control. All I could do, all I could do was trust that God had this under his control. That's all I could do. All I could repeat to myself over and over again was this verse. My mind went to this verse. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. It took everything in me just to say over and over, she's yours, Father. She's not mine. You've got her. I can't. You own her more than I do. I trust you. When things are out of control, that's, that's what we need to do. We need to practice trust. We need to practice trust. You can't just think about trust. You have to practice trust. Sometimes you wonder if God is listening. Sometimes we wonder if God is here. Sometimes we wonder if he's present at all. In those moments, practice trust in his presence. You are his he is yours. He never said we wouldn't go through it. But he did say he'd be with us through it. And that's enough. In fact, that's all we need. Do you believe that today? His presence is all you need. Practice trust. That's the first rhythm we find here. Look at verse 3 for the second. 
who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. We must seek God's face. Theologians talk about another way of describing God's presence beyond his omnipresence. They, they talk about his manifest presence too. Times where God's presence becomes more tangible, where he makes his presence known, like when he meets Moses at the burning bush and speaks, or when the heavens part in the life of Jesus at his baptism and his transfiguration and he speaks. It's more intimate, it's more personal, it's a movement of God to reveal himself to people. And these verses, starting in verse 3, talk about his manifest presence, the hill being described here. It's the hill in Jerusalem. The holy place is the holy of holies, the place where the ark was kept, where God's presence was kept. And so David asks, who shall stand in his holy place? It's a rhetorical question. Everyone in ancient Israel would have understood it to be. The answer is the high priest of Israel on one day a year called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That's the only day when someone would stand in the Holy of Holies. But here, notice what David does. This is so beautiful. He says, it can be that anyone who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This is so beautiful. Get this. Lean into this teaching if you would. David is living out the idea of the new covenant sealed in the blood of Jesus right in the middle of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And so in the New Testament, let me explain that. Through faith in Jesus Christ alone, no one else... Nothing else, according to the gospel and the word of God, are we given the gift of relationship with God, the forgiveness of our sin, and the salvation of our souls. And in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit who dwells in us permanently. It's, he's called the guarantee of our salvation. In us, permanently. God's presence in us, permanently. Why do I keep saying it over? Because we don't often believe it or are aware of it. He is with us permanently in Christ. Now in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, Jesus had not yet come. The Spirit had not yet been sent to all of God's people. But there were times where the Spirit would then be with or dwell with a particular person within God's household, his nation. And when David was appointed king, that's the case here. So David is speaking from that place as a sign of the reality of what would become permanent for God's people, for anyone who would believe in the Messiah. And for us today in the new covenant, if you trust that the clean hands, the clean life, the pure heart, that the teaching, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ brings you forgiveness for your sin and brings you salvation, then you are part, it says, of God's blessed people, a blessed generation. And through the spirit of Jesus, not only are you part of this people, but you, will fo you, you follow his ways as well. You obediently follow the same pattern. You seek to have clean hands. That's the way we interact externally with one another. You seek to have a pure heart, the way we think, 
the posture of our heart. And you seek not to lift up your soul to what is false, to not swear deceitfully, all while we follow the ways of Jesus. Here's the hard teaching. Our level of personal obedience and holiness is directly related to experiencing the presence of God. Now hear me right. We're not chasing God's approval. If you have committed your life to Jesus, you already have it. You're not in, in, in danger of losing the Holy Spirit. He is ours forever in Christ. Again, a guarantee. But we know in our hearts that there's a connection between the way that I live in obedience to the Father and the way I feel and experience His presence. We all understand that. We know that. We, we know it inwardly. And so we understand that as we follow the ways of Jesus, the fruit of God's presence in our lives becomes more obvious to us. We feel it. We sense it. So we seek, it says, the face of God. Now, the Hebrew word for seek is bakash. Let's all say that together. Say bakash. Bakash. It's a cool word. It doesn't mean to squash something. It means to seek to search for, to look for, to ask for, to call on, to discover, to pursue or go after. He's saying we go after the presence of God. Not just when you have time all the time. Not just when it's convenient in every distracted season. And this is found throughout the Psalms, just a few others. Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek bakash after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Psalm 40, verse 16. But may all who seek you, pakash you, rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Psalm 63, 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He is our sustenance. His presence brings us all that we need. Jeremiah spoke of this. Isaiah spoke of this. Jesus, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these are commands. Seek God. Pursue God. Go after God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that describe our faith? Does that describe you? Maybe you are fearful of seeking after God this way. You might think it leads to some kind of empty emotionalism. And I get it. I'm a thinker more than I am a feeler, at least according to this guy named Myers-Briggs. That's what he tells me I am. So I kind of get it. I get it. But are we so afraid of the dangers of extreme expressions of God's manifestations that we don't even look to encounter God's presence to seek him? Not just in our mind, but in our emotions, our bodies, Our will and every part of who we are. Love is not just cerebral, friends. It's meant to be experienced. 
Joy is not just cerebral, something we believe, it's meant to be experienced. Peace is not just cerebral. In Christ, it's meant to be experienced. Is that your experience? God's presence is with you. This is what he has for you. We can go through every practice, every spiritual discipline, every worship gathering, and not seek God's face. So we need to pause and take stock of our own heart. Am I pursuing the Lord more than everything else because I know that he is truly all I need? I need him more than all the counsel of all these other people. I need him more than the news cycle. I need him more than everything around me. I just need to sit in his presence. Feel his joy. Experience his love. So we trust him, we seek him, and finally and briefly, we worship him. We worship the king of glory. Look at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? It's the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, And lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The ark, it's the picture here, is brought into the tabernacle. God's presence has arrived. And his presence is the most powerful force in the world. His presence, friends, it's with you if you are in Christ. His spirit is with you right now through faith. And his presence, it tells us here, is strong. His presence is mighty. It is mighty in the battle. Whatever battle you are facing, his presence is stronger. Whatever you're going through, whatever we see, whatever's going to come our way, the presence of God in us through the indwelt Holy Spirit is greater than every single thing that we will face. It's right now here with you in you in Christ. What are we to be afraid of? What can we not handle? He is strong. He is mighty. He is mighty in battle. So lift up your head because if you know the king, guess what? You're sharing his victory. Lift up your head because the king of glory is with you. Yes, there's so much we can't control, but lift up your head. Don't fear. The king of glory is with you. And you must understand, we now carry his presence and we carry his goodness, like those Levites did, out into the world. It's the only answer. It's the only thing that will help. It's the only force powerful enough, the only love strong enough, the only sacrifice wide enough to actually help humanity right now. That we carry his goodness and his presence out into our neighborhoods, out into our networks, through our lives. We are the representatives then to the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's presence in the world. When I was sitting there in the hospital, 
I just kept thinking, Lord, I don't know what to do. I can't figure it out. I can't talk to enough doctors. I just know that watching a blood transfusion after blood transfusion, I just realized all I really needed was his presence. That's all you need. Whatever you're going through right now, it's just the presence of God, his goodness, his grace. It's not just cognitive, friends. Do you feel it? It's with us. It's meant to work through us for the sake of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence. Because, Father, we know that whatever we face in life, whatever comes our way, whatever the results of political outcomes are and whatever the results of our place of business, whatever happens, Father, all of it, we can simply lay health crises, we can lay it at your feet, and we can say, your presence is what I need. Your presence is what we need as a church. Your presence is what the world needs. Help us to be aware of your presence. Father, I pray for any soul here today, perhaps through your Holy Spirit, you've spoken to them and they understand they have no peace. They have no security. They've been chasing after all these things, but they haven't found them. And even in this moment, Father, would they come to that place hearing the truth of your word, understanding the person of Jesus, and be able to in faith pray to you even now, Father God, I need your presence. And I know the only way to experience it is through faith in your son who you sent to be present here. I believe that he died for the salvation of my soul. That only through his life and his ways can I experience a restored relationship, eternal presence with you, one day seeing you face to face. And Father, for all of your church family gathered, we need a movement of your spirit in us. We need to be keenly aware that you are with us and in us. That when we leave these doors, we take you with us. That when we raise our hands and when we lift our voices, you're with us. That nothing can separate us from your love. That nothing can take us away, tear us away from your Holy Spirit. So help us to know that we can be satisfied knowing that you are here. And that's enough. So we will honor you and worship you now. And we will sing about your goodness, sing about your presence, and lift our voices together. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's respond with worship together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.